Just a friendly reminder that the opinions expressed on this show are not worth a Canadian penny, so disregard anything you hear that might get anyone in trouble. And despite some of the great ideas you may hear, don't try them at home. Go to friend's house instead. Welcome to episode 141 of Slamfire Radio for February 5th, 2016. I'm one of your hosts, Adriel Michaud. I'm another one, Trevor Furlot. And I'm the last one, Matthew McClatchy. Last but not least. Uh, Matthew, why don't you start us off with uh, what you've done in guns this week? Sure. Uh, I went to the range today. It was plus 7 degrees Celsius. Isn't that crazy? So here we are, February the 4th. We had middle of winter. Monday. Huh? We had plus seven here on Monday, and then snowstorm Wednesday night, and plus seven again by the end of the day. Yeah, we had a really nasty snowstorm yesterday. Uh, fortunately, it occurred late enough. In, unfortunately, it occurred late enough in the day they didn't cancel school. Did I say unfortunately or fortunately? Whichever one's more politically correct, that's the one I meant. That's the one, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, today, uh, with the weather so warm, I, I just couldn't help myself, so grabbed my guns and took the Glock and the MMP9 out to the range. I also brought along one of my 22 rifles, the uh, the Papoose, and uh, fired a few rounds out of that too. But uh, this is the first time firing the MMP9. Um, I guess Don't not hate the it. first time ever, but the first time I fired it with it being in my name. And um, hate, yeah, I don't hate it. But, but you're still going to sell it back to me. I'm still going to sell it back to you. Okay. <laughs> I uh, I don't mind trigger? it. Here's the issue that I find with it. the You can change the back straps to change it, the grip size. The medium is too small from front to back, but the palm swell is about right. And the large is about right front to back, but the palm swell is too large. Well, you need a VP9 then. Because those are all adjusted independently. Right. And I just happen to know a guy who's got one for sale. Yeah, for like 900 bucks, right? 950 for you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh. I will rent said handgun yeah. for $10. Ah, uh, deal. <laughs> I probably owe you 10 bucks anyway. <laughs> uh, but no, I enjoyed shooting it. It was fun. Um, accurate enough. When uh, I finally figured out the trigger, it, uh, it shot as well as my Glock. That's what uh, I found. Yeah, I couldn't yeah. find any noticeable difference in accuracy from my Glock. It took a little while. I got some footage, uh, and then you guys will see the footage um, when I finally get this compare and contrast video edited and put out. But I have I have footage of, of the targets that I shot. And with the Glock, I mean, I've got thousands and thousands and thousands of rounds through this thing. So, you know, right off the bat, it was, it was a decent-looking group. I threw a couple. I mean, I always do whenever I shoot 10 rounds in a row. I just don't have the discipline... To, to calm down once I get going. I let my brain get in the way, but whatever. Um, so that one, the, the group started off really, really, really nice and then just opened up a little bit towards the end. And then I switched to the MMP, and you see that the group starts out huge and then slowly shrinks as I figure out the trigger. Right. So uh, both guns, I would say, are probably on par for accuracy, which was nice. The, the trigger, just I just don't like the trigger. You, you can hear it in the footage. The MMP9 those two kind of mushy clicks when you release the trigger compared to the Glock's one solid 
would click when it resets. Uh, I, I really like to reset on the Glock way better than the, uh, the MP9. But, yep. uh, but yeah, no, it was it was fun. Fun to shoot. Had some uh, had some oh had a good time with it, I guess. And then, like I said, had the rifle there too. So I got the 22 out and just kind of plinked for probably 20, 25 minutes, just shooting random things on the range on the backstop, mostly just snowballs and old targets that people have left behind and stuff but just kind of targets of opportunity just sort of a, a relaxing kind of just oh let's just shoot some stuff uh, i haven't shot the the papoose in probably well probably since summer and so you know it's it's normally out in my truck and uh all the ammo had been cold out through all all winter and i wasn't sure how everything was going to work and pff, just lickety split no problems so I was, it was nice to, to see that the reliability of the gun doesn't go down, even though it's been in super cold temperatures for a while. I was going to say, it's it's actually really smart of you to go out and do that test, because what's the point of having it there exactly. if it's not going to work when you see yeah. a coyote? That's right. So, yeah, good idea. And, you know, take it out when it's absolutely cold and see what it does. Yeah. Are and there any uh, blued steel parts on that gun? No, it's all stainless steel. Oh, sweet. So it doesn't stainless matter. Steel a little bit of aluminum. condensation here or there from yeah. cold heat cycles, it doesn't matter. I took mm. it out of the truck. Um, I went somewhere. I can't remember where I went, but wherever I went, it was uh, it was not uh, firearm friendly. I guess I can't remember if I crossed the border or what I did. Anyway, I took it out for some reason a while back, and uh, it actually when I took it out of the took it in the house and took it out of the case, it was actually wet the whole mm. gun, and I was like freaking out. So I took it all apart and checked it, and nothing. It was fine. There was no rust anywhere. Which is odd because uh, a buddy of ours, friend of the show, Jason. Gallon, yeah, I was just going to tell that story. Yeah, I wasn't going to say Gallon because he doesn't like his last name being listed on the, on the you know, radio. But whatever. Whatever. He goes, he goes by that when he's with the podcasters and stuff. Oh, okay. All right. So it's okay then. He doesn't listen screw, anyway. So Screw fine. Gallon. Screw Gallon. Whatever. <laughs> Him in his red pajamas. That's right. It's onesie. <laughs> it's onesie. Anyway, he has a, a papoose as well. And the same thing happened to him, except that his rusted. So I don't know what happened there. I wonder if he had like a blued one and somebody just polished it. I doubt it. Or like uh, stainless steel. I, I don't know how stainless steel A lot of these aren't rusts. actual real stainless steel, though. The what? A lot of these aren't actually stainless well, steel. Apparently mine is because it didn't rust. Yeah. The thing about... Um, taking it in from the cold and then it getting wet. Um, Thomas Donnelly over at the uh, New Street of Canada once talked about this and how the, you know, the temperature change from the cold to the house is going to cause condensation. Yeah. And you should let the, the firearm warm up while inside the case. Well, that's what I did, and it was still wet in the inside. Still wet. Yeah, so from now on, whenever I do that, I'm going to take it out of the case right away so my case doesn't get soaked, and I'm going to just set the firearm right next to the stove where it's nice and warm and dry, hot air. We'll just warm it up and evaporate as it warms up. Because hmm, I've been doing that. I've been leaving them in the case to warm up in the case. That being said, this was a nylon case, not a plastic case. So I wonder if because it was nylon, the moisture could just seep right through it anyway. Maybe with a plastic case, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Because it yeah. would be a bit more watertight than... Uh, There's a topic for the show, shooting in the wintertime and things to consider. Hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, I was, I was going to say, I mean, stainless is one thing, but... Uh, if you uh, if you end up using a, a, a rifle that's got a, like really poor finish on it, like I had a, a one of the Ramlin forty-five uh, seventies, and the receiver on that thing rusted. Even though I like brought it in from outside in, in the cold, put it right next to the the fireplace, so it would dry off. It's still rusted. Wow. Yeah. So I mean, that's terrible. 
You don't always get saved by that kind of thing, right? Yeah, I guess not. Yeah. Anyway, um, um, that's pretty much uh, yeah, that's pretty much all I did. So I guess we're on to whoever Adriel decides can go next. <laughs> Trevor, host, not me. <laughs> Trevor, why don't you go ahead? All right. Um, I've got an update on uh, Claude. Claude was the gentleman who we raised money for at the charity shoot this summer. He was uh, former club president Chris Kingston is former club president. Uh, it's important to get the tenses right with this story. Yeah. You know, you know. <laughs> yeah. So former club president Chris Kingston's son-in-law, who uh, was working as a police officer and came down with methylphalemiosis. I don't even know why I ever <laughs> attempted to say that word. Yeah, that one. Try it again, it's, Trevor. No, the lung oh, no, cancer. No, no, it's fun. <laughs> Not for me. The lung <laughs> cancer associated with uh, exposure to asbestos. Anyway, so we raised money to help cover some of his medical uh, costs, things that, you know, costs that he incurs with travel and stuff like that. So, um, Claude did go through the surgery, actually not too long after the charity shoot. And I won't get into the details, but it was very, very extensive. Um, he actually has some prosthetic parts now to hold them together. They had to cut out so much. But that being said, he was out snowshoeing last week. So, um, well, that, that's good. I mean, yeah. if he's out snowshoeing, obviously he's, uh, he's not, well, he's, he's in better health than, huh, you. <laughs> Touche. <laughs> I'm not even going to argue the point at this at this stage. So, yeah, no, he is uh, making a full recovery. So thanks again to the listeners for, for uh, digging deep and throwing out some extra charity because that wasn't our primary charity. That was the uh, all the money from the barbecue went to, to Claude. So uh, thanks again to the listeners. And, and somebody, some one or two had asked uh, over the last couple of months, you know, how is he in the updates? So he's doing well. So good news. Happy awesome. news. Yeah, because, yeah, he went, well, he died twice on the table. Yeah. And now he's snowshoeing, so somebody is looking out for him. Um, what else have I been up to? 3D archery tournament. Um, yeah. But moving on. <laughs> <laughs> Not well, huh? <laughs> well, fifth. It uh, it was a rough day. Um, I got there, Got I got registered, and they write on your scorecards your butt assignment. So where you're going to be starting and somewhere along the way, I stopped looking at the scorecard and just brain farted and thought I was starting on four instead of three. So when the tournament starts, I go to four, two guys go ahead of me. Fine. Then two more guys go ahead of me. Wait a second. Like, oh man, they made a mistake at the registration table and they put six of us on this, but we can't all be here. And so I'm talking to the judge, I'm talking to the registration table and they get it situated and they put me with some really really new archers one of them was his first tournament and sometimes you know me i i am not very um subtle nice sometimes i lack couth (laughs) and um these guys were they were so bad it was distracting and it's, it's not their fault they don't mean to be bad they're just new but I'm trying to you know shoot well and I'm have I'm distracted you know if you sh- if you shoot with top shooters you perform better I don't care it's a it's I mean true. a top it's absolutely a top, true a top shooter's still going to shoot well but you know yourself Matthew if you're in a squad with Mo Lorette, George McKillop I you shoot know better. 
you shoot better because I'm trying to trying to keep up. Well, the t- and the tone is different. Everybody's yeah. taking, you know, if you're shooting with recreational guys or, or a ro- God help me, a revolver shooter, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's it's you know, might as well just pack it up. I remember the first <laughs> time that I I realized that, and I was shooting with Jody Waring, 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 Waring. I was shooting with him. And this was in Fredericton, and uh, I remember it was the very first time that I actually started doing like double taps, like shooting quickly twice in a row yeah. instead of taking you know very deliberate single shots two at each target it was more papa papa and uh, i noticed that on the video and i was like wow i'm actually starting to speed up and and i realized it's because i was watching what jody was doing and doing what he was doing he's a good shooter and so i just wanted to kind of keep up with him so yeah, yeah it was it was neat but you still have to know your where you are oh absolutely not, you yeah. know i mean chris kingston got squatted with the gold team from ontario one time and uh, so he thought he was going to shoot like the uh, gold team, and it just the you know the butt fell out of her, <laughs> so to speak. So anyway, I'm I'm down at the um, I'm getting frustrated because I'm not performing well, and it shows. You know, at an archery tournament, if Trevor's quiet and not joking around with the other archers or picking on somebody, it's not good. If he's if if he's quiet, yeah, you can tell my performance. I wear it. You can see when I'm walking back from the targets. I had a coach once. He said, I know if you shot a good end or a, by, or a bad end by how you turn around and come back to the line yep. without saying a word. I can just read it in your body language. And so we're down there and we're scoring the targets. And this guy says, and next when I get, when I get some money, I got to get this and I got to get this. I got to get this. And as soon as he said the last thing, I said, and you got to get a coach. He said, I don't need a coach. I looked at him and said, I'm a coach. Trust me. You need a coach. And I walked away. <laughs> Oh, I kind of felt bad, but then I, you know, I talked to him later on, and he was just led to believe that he didn't need a coach, that he was set up and ready to go, and he just needed to practice more. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, so I said, look up and down the line, and you tell me if anybody is anchoring the way you're anchoring with the thumb wrapped around the back of their neck, and there's a reason why they're not, and I left it at that, right? So. Yeah. Anyway, moving on. Um, I want to talk about FNS 40 caliber magazines. Yeah, this is cool. This yeah. is cool. So everybody knows about the Glock 17 and the Glock 22. The Glock 17 is a 9mm. The Glock 22 is the same gun, but in 40. So the magazine for the Glock 22 or the Glock 35 fits inside the Glock 17. And remember what the RCMP Special Bulletin number 72 says? It's not what you can fit into the magazine of a different caliber. It's how many it will hold of the caliber it was designed for. Okay? That's right. Which basically is the RCMP saying in writing, caliber restriction laws don't apply. If you think about those words, they say in black and white, it's not what it'll hold of a different caliber. It's what it'll hold for the caliber it was designed for. So pistol mags have to hold 10 of the caliber they were designed for. Yeah, so a 9mm pistol mag can only hold 9 rounds of, of 9. It doesn't matter what it, or 10 rounds of 9. It doesn't matter what it'll hold of any other caliber. If I can make it fit in a 22 and put 30, 38 22s in there, it's You're legal. Good to go. Yep. So you take the Glock 22 mag, which is 40 caliber, and you stuff it full of 9mm, and generally it'll hold about 12, right? You take the Beretta 96 magazine, which is the 40 caliber version of the Beretta 92, and you can get about 13 9mm into that, into that one. Well, you guys know I love the FN, and FN came out with a um, FN S40. So it's a, it's a long slide, uh, only uh, it's in 40 instead of 9. Well, the way they designed this magazine and the 9mm magazine, they've dimpled the side of the mag body. So as the rounds come down in their double stack configuration, the rounds, not the follower, hit the dimples and stop at 10. When you get the FNS 40 and you take the 40 caliber mag and you stuff it full of 40, the rounds come down 
and they hit the dimples on the side of the mag and they stop. But if you decide to fill that 40 caliber mag with 9 mil, the follower and the 9 mil slip past the dimples and fill up to full capacity of what you would expect a full capacity 9 millimeter mag to hold. So FNS mags have been flying off the shelves. FNS 40 mags, rather, have been flying off the shelves. Yeah, no and, kidding. Yeah. So I got three myself, and I know three other listeners that have purchased FNS 9 mils just since discovering this. So if you have an FNS, and you should really, or like me, have two, um, you uh, you want to look into this perhaps. So well, it sounds like a really good way to uh, to get a leg up in uh, any like in IPSEC, maybe not so much, but in uh, if you shoot outlaw three gun or uh, or any other like any other competition where your pistol isn't limited to the ten, um, you can get, you can get a big leg up seventeen versus ten. This is exactly right. The first year I got a semi-automatic shotgun that held nine. I went heavy on the shotgun stages for our three-gun match. I did last year too, but it kind of backfired because my uh, VersaBax uh, puked on me. But this year's three-gun will be heavy on pistol, <laughs> which is kind of <laughs> defeats the purpose. But so yeah, it's not legal. It's not legal in Ipsic because somewhere there's a rule that says in in Canada you're only allowed to put ten rounds in your pistol in your pistol magazine. You can top up, of course. But uh, yeah, so it won't it won't work in a sanctioned pistol in a sanctioned Ipsic. I don't I don't think it's going to give you any sort of advantage, Trevor. And here's why. You're going to run, you're going to shoot, in your head you're going to come to about eight or nine shots, you're going to drop exactly. the mag, another one in. <laughs> You've got to practice, right? <laughs> you have to practice not changing mags. Yeah. So, But it'll be good for, like, uh, training classes, um, three-gun, yeah, if you know. There's 12 stages or 12 rounds here. Yeah, exactly. Which there never should be. There should never be more than nine rounds from one position anyway. So, But if there's nine, you know, eight in one spot and four in another... Have at it, right? Yep. Um, what else? I set up my new target bow. So I uh, I am sponsored by the Atlantic Archery Center in Fredericton, New Brunswick. If you don't shop there for your archery gear, you are definitely a communist. And what they do as a staff shooter, they provide me with a free bow per year. So my new staff shooter bow for 2016 arrived. It's a PSE Expression. So it's probably the top of the line target bow on the market anywhere. And um, yeah, I'm biased, but no, this really is a... Um, a race car. It's an amazing. It's the open gun of target bows. It's it's something else. It has a shoot through riser, so there's material on both sides of the arrow rest, so the arrow actually passes right through the middle of the riser. Makes for a nice stiff riser and, and easier to tune setup. So I set that up and playing with that a little bit. I also picked up a new rifle. A friend of mine from Halifax sent me a and shout out to Luke Giroux for uh, getting it up here for me <laughs> in a bow case. You know, my hobbies are starting to overlap when I'm transporting guns in bow cases. It's a Savage slash Anschutz Mark 12. It's a single shot target 22 bull barrel. Um, for, fortunately, it just has the tiny little rail on the receiver. So, Matthew, you've got some rings for me. Um, Somebody yeah. has actually built up the stock in the front to make it look like it's got a, a magazine or something and then painted it black. It doesn't look bad from far, but it's far from good. So I'm actually going in the market for a new stock for it, either an original or something Boyd's. And uh, neat little gun, really, really cool heavy barrel, heavier than like what's on a, uh, or maybe it's about the same as what's on the Mark II. Um, what else? Oh, I bought a another gun. I bought an FNS. FN, FNS 9mm in 4.2, but this time it's all black. My 5-inch gun has the stainless slide, so this one is black. So I think this is going to replace 
the 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 FN replaced the Glock for my go to gun for like training classes and stuff like that. Well, I think this one will. Um, after get it, figuring out those forty caliber mags and how many nine mil they can hold legally, I needed another FN, so I bought another FN. I powder coated some um, powder coated and sized some nine millimeter bullets that I cast. It's important not to leave them in the oven too long because they actually melt and turn into little puddles of lead on the uh, cookie sheet. That's hilarious. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> so turn the temperature down from four fifty to four hundred, and really, you know. 12 minutes is all it takes. I, I can't do just one thing. So while I'm casting, I'm also shooting my bow or I'm reloading a shotgun and pulling 44. And like I'm always doing three things at once. And so, um, yeah, you, when you're doing something that's time sensitive, set, set the timer, kids. Also, be sure to cross-reference your, your load data. I looked up in my load data, you remember a couple of years ago, Matthew was developing all these 9mm loads and all these different pistols with two different types of powder? Yep. So I would take the template and just fill it out again in, in an Excel spreadsheet. And I ended up loading 124 grain Camp Pro with the powder charge for 231, but substituted tight group instead. So I ended up with a power factor of 141. So just regular ammo then, basically. Yeah, yeah, just, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but way more than you need for. Yeah, well, I was putting this through the FN um, long slide, and I was like, "Man, this is snappy." And then uh, Muffin has Chronograph there, chronographing his 308. What did he use? And it was like 2,800 feet per second. It was an amazing load. And um, anyway, I decided to chronograph my nine mil and came up with 141. So I went home and I was like, oh, max charge is 4.1 and I'm at 4.4. Oh. So I fixed that. And then I did a lot of load development for my Thompson Center, Venture, Predator, and 223, and some 308. Um, Muffin came up with like the perfect 308 load. It's a 168 grain Amax bullet on top of 45 and a half grains of Varget. And he had bought this Remington 700 varmint rifle at Canadian Tire. It's got a cool stock on it, heavy barrel, but it wouldn't group. Turns out one of the action screws was wrong. Too short, too long, doesn't matter. It was wrong, and it wouldn't hold a group. He got it sorted. He's got a beautiful Vortex LHS Viper on there. I think it's the LHS Viper. Anyway, the high-end Viper scope. This thing, I watched him put five bullets in the same hole at 100 meters with this 168 grain Amax load. So I was like, wow. So I had my TAC-21 on the bench, and I'm like, can I, uh, can, I, can I have some of those? So he gave me five to try, and I put four in the same hole and one just out, but it was all shooter error. So I went home and had some 168 grain nozzlers that I pulled, and I reloaded them because I only had 43 grains. I reloaded them with 45 and a half grains. So hopefully um, they'll perform well while Luke is scouring Moncton for Amax bullets for us. Um, what else? Shot the. I, I couldn't Thompson really center. find any of those Amaxes around here either. I was looking for them. No. All I could find were uh, SMKs, mm. CR Match Kings. Yeah. Oh well, they're okay too. I'd be yeah. willing to try those. Yeah. I'd like to get my hands on some Lapua Cinars to throw into my Lapua oh, Brass. Yeah, but that'd be cool. Have you tried the burgers with your 308? I have not. I tried them with mine. I don't like them. Uh, they're no. uh, uh, real sensitive to seating depth. Mm-hmm. So I, uh, I. Yeah, I don't like them. They're they're hard I, to seat to the to the correct uh, ogive length with uh, just basic dies. Hmm. I've tried um, a lot of uh, well, no, a couple of Hornady, some Vmax, 
some Amax, and it likes 168 grain nozzler and it likes 165 grain nozzler, uh, but that's it. No burgers of any kind. Oh no! Uh, I got out with um, 180 grain Sierra Hunter, I think, inside my Lapua brass, and, and it just it doesn't like 180 as much as the 168 and the 165. So. I uh, went to practice last night with my target bow for the first time to keep score and uh, getting used to it. I shot exclusively with my back tension release. Uh, are you familiar with what a back tension release is, Adriel? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so that's where you for, pull it back and then you, you kind of tense your back muscles a bit to, for the final, uh, final draw there. Yeah, there's no trigger per se. There's nothing that you actually activate with your trigger finger or pushing a button with your thumb. It's a sear. And as you pull... The sear just kind of slides, and the hook comes off, and the bow the bow fires. And so I shot that last night. Not super results, not what I'm used to. But it was a 194 or two. Sorry, <laughs> out of a 300, I shot 294 in the first round and a 296 in the second round. Some shots were awesome, and some shots were a little. But it was the first time that I shot that many arrows with just my back tension. I bought it, and I've been toying with it, going back and forth between my thumb release and my back tension. And you eventually you just got to pull the pull the rip the bandaid off and go straight back tension and you won't get better by going back and forth you just got to bite the bullet and and accept that you're going to suck for a little while until you get used to it well 294 sounds good but uh, did you robin hood any arrows because that's the the true measure of uh you know good archer yeah no 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 (laughs) shoot three arrow ends and each arrow goes into its own uh into its own face generally a target has 10 scoring rings well, when you're shooting these kind of arrows at this distance and with this amount of precision, yeah, you're definitely going to smash arrows. So we have three spot targets. So there are three five rings scoring yeah. zones on the yeah, face. I'm, I'm just joking around. I mean, but, but you do range, still wear the feather, right, in your hat? Absolutely. Okay, I just <laughs> wanted to make sure that you were, you know, sticking true to your your form there. You can so. hardly see the cellulite through those leotards. That's fantastic. Wow. That's yeah, my an image uh, I did not need. At the, at, the, <laughs> at the bow range that I go to, there's uh, most most people that, that go, they, they run the three spots. But every once in a while, like right before hunting season, people will pull out like just the big one, one big spot. And they'll rob it in, hood an arrow and say like, oh, look, I, I Robin Hood one. And, um, but it was in the eight. <laughs> yeah. And, and uh, that makes know, it too bad. There shots. goes there goes ten bucks. Right. So <laughs> ten. Ten. Well, if I you just like damage What's that? What What are you paying for your arrow shafts right now? Uh, my hunting shafts cost one hundred and forty dollars before they're done up with points or knocks or veins. So twelve divided by one hundred and forty, and that's before everything else. The outdoor carbon arrows that I used to shoot in competition were forty five dollars a piece, and I had three dozen. <laughs> Ouch! Yeah. Oh man. Yeah, yeah, that hurts. Yeah, don't when I went to one. when I went to the World Cup in Croatia, that's what I flew over with three dozen. Luckily, they were paid for pretty much by sponsors and donations and stuff like that. And then mm-hmm. after that, I came back with a contract for Carbon Express, and I was getting them for like half of that. But sweet, so yeah, it, yeah. So, but um, for indoor target, I shoot aluminum arrows, and aluminum arrows are much much cheaper than carbon arrows. For hunting, I shoot a it's called a full metal jacket. It's a carbon tube on the inside wrapped with aluminum on the outside so you get a heavy arrow so grains per inch is like almost 11 grains per inch but you have a smaller diameter shaft which is great for wind you don't get pushed around in the wind if you're shooting outdoors as much as to get a stiff arrow you need a large shaft 
But with, with this carbon aluminum construction, you get the stiffness that you want, so you get the poundage that you need um, and the grains per inch that you want for penetration, but you don't get the big fat diameter. So you're not worried about wind drift as much. So I shoot a different arrow for everything I do. I've got a hunting arrow, I've got a 3D arrow, and I've got an indoor target arrow and an outdoor target arrow. Yeah, I've got, I've got about the same. Um, and then I bought another gun. So that's about three guns. I've been gone for two weeks, three guns. Woohoo! Doing good. Uh, I bought a limited custom, or buying a limited custom from Mo uh, to be the backup to my limited custom Extreme. And he already started to fill it full of Extreme line parts. So um, there's only, I think, the hammer left for me to do. This is a Nipsic gun, right? A handgun? Yeah. Because not yeah. everybody knows. Right, sorry. Yeah, I'm just, uh, I'm just, you know, trying to clue yeah, the listeners. Absolutely. Trying to help. Limited custom. It's a Tanfoglio, which is Italian. Limited custom, which is 40 caliber. Uh, Ipsic gun. Single. So it's a single action gun. It's a CZ clone, right? Tanfoglios are clones of CZs, but in my opinion, they're better than CZs. So it would be the counterpart to the CZ Tactical Sport. Which For is the their, price, they better oh. be better. Yeah. Yeah, and the, especially the extreme line. Right? Yeah. So, and... uh yeah, so there you go. That's me. Cool. Pedro? <laughs> uh, let's see. What did I do? Um, I bought a, a Stoger M3500 used. That's a It's a semi-automatic shotgun, uh, tube magazine, uh, chamber for three and a half inch shells, and the barrel on this one is 28, which is kind of long for what I wanted to do with it. Hacksaw! Uh, I can't because it's got the... It's got the sight right at the end of it, but uh, I don't know. Maybe I'll uh, go on CGN and see if anyone wants to trade for a, a longer barrel for a shorter one or something like that. Um, anyway, it, it's, it's kind of a cool shotgun. So it uses a, an inertia drive system. So um, uh, Beretta bought Benelli and Stoger and I think Franchi. They, they own all of them. And uh, they took the inertia drive system out of the Benelli's and they put them in the... Uh, Stoger, and I think they might have put it into one of the Franchis as well, but I haven't seen a lot of them out here. Um, and, uh, you know, rather than gas, so gas, you, you, you siphon off a little bit of gas, and uh, you use that to run the action. In these, it uses a little spring that kind of uh, loads up with the recoil of the gun and then shoots the bolt carrier to the rear uh, once that spring is compressed. So that's kind of interesting. Uh, and it's a little bit cleaner than a uh, or not, not a little bit, a lot cleaner than a gas gun because you're not dealing with carbon fouling at all because it's it's all just going out the barrel, right? Um, I'm kind of looking at, at like kitting that thing out for three gun. It's three and a half inch, so I should be able to um, you know fit you know five point nine three and a half inch shells, like set the magazine tube up for that, and then uh, and then fit a whole whack of uh, two and three quarter in there so I can uh, I can compete uh, successfully with it. Um, yeah, if there's any listener ideas on what I should do with that shotgun, I'm, I'm more than open to uh, to hearing some ideas because I just got it and I don't really know what I should do. Sell I sell it and get a Versamax. <laughs> <laughs> didn't you sell your Versamax? Heck no, you didn't. Oh, I no thought way. you were saying you were you were going to get a, a Benelli instead. Oh uh, well, get a Benelli, but I don't think I use the words instead <laughs> as well. <laughs> as well, <laughs> there's always an um, and here. <laughs> yeah. No, the uh, I had that one malfunction this summer, and it was kind of a little disappointing. It just the lifter just didn't lift the brass. The brass drug on the inside of the uh, receiver, mm-hmm. but it just happened that one time. It hasn't happened again. So, huh. and the other uh, malfunction I was having where we um, welded 
the tip of my lifter. And normally mm-hmm. it's got a notch in it, which centers the shell yeah. on the lifter to put it in the center of the chamber. And once that is welded, so you don't get your thumbs caught while reloading, the shell can dance back and forth. You can get some play there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I radius the side of the chamber, kind of opened it up some and made it like a funnel, if you will. Problem solved. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, like I, I, I was, I was kind of fully expecting going into this that this would be, um, like, it would be really cheaply finished, and and the materials would be kind of garbagey and and inexpensive and and whatnot. But that's eh, not that bad, you know. Uh, for I, I paid six hundred and fifty bucks for it used. I think new they're going for right around eight thirty or so right now, and uh, it's not that bad. We'll we'll see once I get shooting it and uh, starting to kit it out. I think it takes. A bunch of the Benelli stuff, like you can make a Benelli, um, uh, what is that, uh, bolt release uh, work for it, and uh, a few other things. So I'm kind of curious to see what I can get going on it and, and how, how close I can get it to uh, to running as a three-gun. They actually, like Stoger actually makes a three-gun model of this uh, for the States in the, in the M3000, which is their three-inch version. But uh, I think, you know, in Canada here, uh, it's an advantage to use a three and a half inch chamber because then you can set the magazine tube for a three and a half inch shotgun, correct? Exactly. Which is, like Freedom Ventures a couple of years ago was bringing in um, black Versamaxis with 26 inch barrels and selling them with the extended charging handle and the um, Nordic components plus three tube on it. And it was chambered in three and a half. So you were getting this thing without any porting, polishing, opening up of the receiver feeding area or anything like that. They weren't doing those modifications to them, but it had a extended um, bolt release, an extended charging handle, and the magazine tube uh, out the door as a package. And because it was three and a half inch, you would get seven in the tube plus a ghost load plus one in the uh, chamber. Yeah, so a total of nine, and then you know when when the stores do those combos, it uh, it's usually cheaper than buying all the parts separately and shipping and whatnot as well, right? Yeah, but then the um, everybody started carrying the Versamax, and he wasn't able to make any money if he was going to compete with the what the price of the Versamax went down to something like that. So mm-hmm. he only did it for maybe a year, I think. So I think all said, like before I sent mine away to Tactical Ordnance in Ontario, I probably paid eleven maybe 12 with uh, all the um well as a kit from from freedom ventures mm-hmm. yeah that's that's good that's with all the accessories or just a shotgun no that's with the accessories in the box ready to go oh that's that was good. the uh, yeah the nordic tube the extended charging handle extended bolt release yeah one of my buddies is looking at the versamax and uh yeah he can't find anything for i think less than 1200 dollars right now just for the shotgun Oh, well, it must be because of the dollar. And these are nice because they're only 26-inch. Um, um, Chris Babes, he actually got uh, Casey at Tactical Ordnance to cut his to kind of like parallel with the end of the um, tube. Mm-hmm. And the only problem is after that, yeah, you, well, it's not a problem. It's just something you have to be aware of. You have to use a particular type of choke tube. You're no longer using the chokes that come with the Versamax, which are not REM chokes. They're a different choke than the REM choke. Uh, I didn't realize that when I got my 870 threaded for REM chokes. Also, my Versamax chokes didn't fit. So, hmm. um, But the Versamax itself came with um, five chokes, two different uh, fiber optic sights for the front, um, really <laughs> industrial-sized trigger lock. It was quite a, quite a kit. Yeah. Nice, hard plastic case, but you have to take it down and put it in, and it's just not practical with the... Um, 
extension tube on there with the clamp. Oh, yeah, it also came with a barrel clamp for the extension tube. Oh, cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of my buddies has a... <laughs> he competes with a Remington 1100, and it's got a 30-inch barrel, so he has to break it down anytime he has to move it or store it or anything. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. But, uh, man, you want to talk knockdown power on those on those long plates with a 30-inch barrel, it's full choke. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But uh, yeah, this this thing came with uh, four chokes. It's got a rail that goes on the top. If you put on, want to put a red dot or something, it's got a uh, oh a recoil reducer as well that goes into the buttstock. I think it's just a chunk of steel. Uh, it's not like a mercury moving thing or anything like that. It's just a weight to uh, to uh, tame it a bit if you are going to shoot three and a half inch in it because uh, I'd imagine that kick quite a bit. Mm. Um, anyways, yeah. So I, I bought that shotgun. I just got it, so I, I haven't really hit the range with it. I'm, I'm planning to on Sunday. Um, uh, just over the weekend, I made a, a, a big old bucket of uh, nine mil, uh, so like a Kirkland signature. What was it like, dishwasher powder or something like that? Yeah, it was big. <laughs> it's like twenty five hundred rounds, and yeah, uh, yeah so just got into Matthew, a really good groove. Matthew, we know where we're gonna get our nine mil for the class in St. Paul. Yeah, we do. It's already made. <laughs> <laughs> that nine mil Make will more. be gone by that time. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I guess there's a solution. Yeah, I mean, one of my buddies um, um, has a whole bunch of nine millimeter brass, so we just uh, yeah, we just have to pick up the bullets, and we've got like an eight pound of tight group that uh, seems to last oh, forever. It won't. Um, yeah, <laughs> mm. seems to, seems to. Uh, yeah, anyway, so I made uh, we we made a whole pile of nine uh, millimeters. Just got into a really good groove. Had my buddy reloading the the primer tubes and. Uh, uh, just keeping stuff next to me so I could just keep running, and I just kept running for I don't know, like two, three hours. And uh, you can you can run through a lot of you can run a lot of bullets that way. Yeah. Uh, what else did I do? Uh, I made about fifty rounds of uh, three hundred eight uh, just after we ran out of uh, uh, projectiles for the nine millimeter. Uh, I made the oh, was it one sixty eight grain Sierra Match Kings? I think I used CFE two two three as a powder. And if you don't know, that powder uh, is supposed to clean the copper fouling out of the out of your barrel a little bit better than than regular powder. Mm, I use a brush. Uh, yeah, that's the other option. <laughs> yeah, nice Matthew. Hey, if I can, if I can get it, if you know, if the powder is the same cost and uh, it pulls a, it pulls the copper out, it's, you know, one less thing to worry. Doesn't matter about. if it's the most optimal powder for that load of that rifle, as long as it cleans. I, I. <laughs> I think you know, CFE two two three works really well with three hundred eight, so it should uh, it should work. But hey, that's why I only made fifty mm, and not like five hundred. <laughs> I tested uh, forty grain bullets, yeah. fifty grain, two different kinds of fifty grain bullets, two different kinds of forty bullets, uh, fifty three grain and fifty five grain, and it just even with benchmark. Speeding them up, my I went twenty six grains of benchmark with a fifty five grain bullet, which would be more Matthew than a twenty seven and a half grain load of Varget. And you know how Varget, you know that'd be a compressed load, yep. and it still wouldn't uh, stabilize it. But no, it loved forty. But who wants to shoot forty grain? If you want it to go really really fast, you do. Yeah, on a very very super calm day. Yeah, at a squirrel. Sure. All right. Ah, oh, forty grain going three thousand feet a second will take out a coyote. Oh yeah, yeah, it, it certainly will. There's no question. That'd be fun for gophers too at close range. Yeah. <laughs> well, close range. I mean, I would take a shot. I'd take a three hundred meter shot on a gopher with a two two three. I think Angel's just saying at close range oh, yeah. it would be funner. Oh yeah, hydrostatic yeah, yeah. shock and whatnot. Yes. 
Seekers. Yeah. Have you guys that. seen that video series called Seekers of the Red Mist? They're popping golfers. No. They're popping golfers with 220 Swift and 22 250, and uh, they don't call it Red Mist for nothing because it's literally like all you see. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that'd be cool. Um, what else? Uh, oh, and uh, Wolverine also sent me one of their uh, CZ 958 uh, hunters to try out. Uh, they're not in production just yet, but this is like a pre-production model, I guess. And I just got that today, That's so it. I don't have any real opinions. David Copping, if you're it. listening, I need to get my hands on the ground power striker fired pistol, please. So that Adriel's head doesn't swell because yeah. he's the only one getting guns. Yeah, I think I think Trevor and I both need guns too. <laughs> mm. Yeah, we've got to keep sent, this even. Somebody sent Matthew a cooey. <laughs> I'd, heck, I'd take a cooey. I, I know you would. <laughs> That'd be fun. Uh, you'd chop the barrel and put it in the oven. and I'd do all kinds of fun stuff with it. <laughs> Thank you. Why Andrew. would you put Tell in the that oven? story, Matthew? Uh, I don't remember it now. <laughs> oh, come on. Really? Is that the one where I, I, I painted something and stuck it in the oven to cure it? No, you were going to try and re-choke it. See, it oh, no, that wasn't the oven. Oh, I did start with the oven, I guess, but I ended up using a wood stove and a lot of air and a, sort of a blast furnace out of a wood stove. And uh, I, I heated up the barrel red hot and uh, it's a long story, Rant hard to explain. Another, well, no, you took another barrel, put it over top of the barrel you cut and tried to hammer it down to four the new choke right and it did sort of work it just we didn't go at it long enough and yeah it it didn't work out in the end but the the theory was there (laughs) but (laughs) the theory is you put it on the wood stove you heat it up and you beat it to to death with this other barrel well i mean i'm sticking the other barrel over top of it and it slides on perfectly concentrically right so if i smash that down onto it it will squish the other barrel concentrically which would put a choke into it but you got to really wail on it, and uh, and then you end up with a really funny looking shotgun because the first piece of barrel won't come off. It, it eventually did, but uh, <laughs> it, look, you don't learn anything unless you try, right? <laughs> yep, that's we yeah. all have to do dumb stuff. Fun. What do you mean dumb? Thank yeah, you. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I don't know if it was the wood stove part <laughs> or the hammering part. List or... <laughs> dumb. Where do we start? <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, I could throw rocks because I've, I've, I've done all the fun. dumb stuff as well. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, let's get on to uh, upcoming events here. I'll take the first one here. The first annual Ronnie DeGroot Rockout with your Glockout Steel Challenge. That's coming up on June 4th of this year. Uh, the next one is the sixth annual Charity Shoot in support of Soldier On. That'll take place on June 25th in Kingston, Ontario, at the Brockville District Fish and Game Club. If you're interested, well, we contact. Have to yeah, add ahead. something to this. Sorry, I apologize for not getting into the notes. Um, the Canadian Coalition for Firearms Rights is now an event sponsor of this, and uh, I think um, there may be a booth there, taking memberships and giving out pamphlets and information, answering questions, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Not only that, the and this is kind of. Fortunate and unfortunate for me, the first annual AGM of the Canadian Coalition for Firearms Rights will take place the same weekend as the charity shoot in Ottawa. So uh, if listeners are interested in attending the AGM, it will be in Ottawa on uh, Friday. And uh, the details are online on our Facebook page and our website. Fortunately, what it means for me is uh, I'm... Uh, bailing on Matthew and not traveling to Ontario with Matthew. Um, Ooh. 
Yeah. I'm actually going to fly into Ottawa and then travel back and forth from Ottawa to the charity shoot with uh, other directors and executive of the um, CCFR. That's so, only a two-hour drive. <clears throat> well, it's an hour one way to the to the Brockville range from the hotel that, that we'll be at. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, Brockville is quite a ways away from Kingston. I was thinking Kingston... But you know, I'm looking at the map here. Brockville's yeah, at least almost halfway between Brockville or uh, Kingston and Ontario or uh, Ottawa. Yeah, so I'll, I'll arrive Thursday night, do the AGM thing on Friday, do a social thing Friday night with the crew. Saturday morning, get up to crack of dawn, head over to the range, do the charity shoot, and then hang out for as long as I can Saturday night with all all of my podcasting friends and listeners that want to hang out with us, and then drive back to the hotel, work all day Sunday in a planning type meeting, and then go home. Good times. Well, while you're on the topic of the CCFR, why don't you talk about the uh, contest that they've got going? Yeah, Um, it's the like ultimate choose your package contest. The details are online as well. Uh, Rod Giltaka, our president, made an excellent video describing the contest. You make a donation, and then your name is put in a draw. The draw will be done live, I believe, um, through. Google Hangouts or something maybe I don't don't paraphrase don't quote me I'm paraphrasing Rod and the details again are in his video but the um, the draw will happen uh, within a couple of months and you get either a hunter's package a black rifle package which includes a handgun and an AR and or a long range rifle package and these packages are worth thousands and thousands of dollars the CCFR has been so fortunate to get you know so much support from the industry and from listeners and this is just you know like the big freaking gun giveaway was cool but it was like when are you going to draw when are you going to draw they didn't put a date on it it was like i don't even know how long it was before it was finally drawn but i'm sure it was like a year or something well i'm not sure but it felt like a very long time this you know exactly when it's coming so yep exactly uh, the uh, the next event we have here is Got Your Six. That's a Wounded Warrior charity shoot. It's being held at the Edson Fish and Game One Mile Range in Alberta. I'm going to go there definitely. Uh, July 16th to 17th. You can go to uh, gotyoursixshoot.com for more information. Uh, in terms of news, uh, Trevor, did you want to bring us this uh, uh, first sure. one here? Sure. The RCMP have reclassified. So that means that there was a firearm that was once <clears throat> restricted. The RCMP have suddenly decided to make it non-restricted, and this is amazing. It doesn't matter. This is matter. big news. Yeah, they very yeah. rarely do this. Have they ever done it? They always I go guess. the other way. Right. We have we have things taken away from us in Canada all the time. And here is, well, we got our CZs back. Well, they took the CZ858s. They took the Swiss Arms. We lost those. Then we got them back, thankfully. Um, and that was under the conservative government that we were able to get them back. But here, under a liberal government, they're reclassifying things from restricted to non-restricted. So this is, is awesome. I don't know. It may very well have happened before. Yeah, it's opposite, it's opposite day. That's day. It. So the MKA-1919 <laughs> has been reclassified. And this comes from to us from Edward Osborne. And I reached out to Edward tonight before the show, trying to get him on, but I wasn't able to connect with him. So two of these stories are directly stolen off Edward's blog, TV Press Pass. So uh, I'm going to read here what he had on his blog. The MKA-1919 has been reclassified by the RCMP from restricted to non-restricted, which has some very interesting implications. Edward from TV Press Pass announced on his blog that the RCMP have officially reclassified the 
AK, AKDAL. How, how, we, how are we pronouncing that? Akadel? Akdel? All right. Akdel it is. Uh, Aloha Snack Bar came to mind. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's where I was going to. <laughs> yeah, we share a brain. The Akdel MKA 1919 from restricted to non-restricted and is no longer considered to be a variant of the Air 15. And that's because, ladies and gentlemen, it never was. It aesthetically, it, this was no more an Air 15 than the Blaze AK is an AK 47. The Mossberg Blaze 22 that they wrapped in AK plastic and prohibited because it's wrapped in plastic that looks like an AK. We got to get that back. We'll see if that one gets un- unrestricted at some point or not. Yeah. We'll put to non-restricted. So he also notes that because the lineage of the firearm could be better traced to an AR-10 design, and that because it is now is now non-restricted, he speculates that welcome to reclassification of the AR-10 platform may be in the works from uh, from the FRT database. While the exterior of this model resembles the AR family, there is no direct lineage that this is exclusively to the AR-15 slash M16 design. The model design could also easily be linked to an Armalite division of Fairchild Aircraft AR-10 design. Very exciting news indeed, and comes after several other Turkish-made AR-15 style shotguns classified as non-restricted were announced to hit the market at the end of 2015, such as the Daria, Yuzcon, uh, and the Toron shotguns. Myself, uh, me personally, I would like the Daria Mark 10 uh, version 106. It, it's aluminum on the top. It's very AR looking, more more modern AR looking than uh, than these plasticky things. So yeah, well, when when this uh, first this news first came out, I. I, I I thought, well, that's that's great because when the BR ninety nine came out as non restricted, it it was actually kind of weird because the the Actel one hundred nine is like the predecessor, and uh, some versions of it are the uh, oh, the versions that come after. Um, so there, there's there's like an incredibly incredible similarities between these two. So just seeing that the BR ninety nine came out as non restricted, I was I was kind of wondering like, oh, okay, what's going to happen with the with the nineteen nineteen? Because it's mm. pretty much the I, same. Uh, shot I like the part here where there's speculation about the AR ten, and I also heard from an industry insider that the AR ten is seriously being looked at, and there's a Canadian company. Rumor has it is developing their own AR ten, and they've been working closely with the RCMP lab to kind of figure out how to navigate the system in order to have their version of the Air 10 classified as non-restricted because the Air 10 is in no way hmm. a variant of the Air 15. It's not mil-spec. Everybody makes their own version of the Air 10, kind of like the AK. The parts aren't always necessarily interchangeable. And there's nothing between an Air 10 and an Air 15 that, that you can share. Maybe the grip? I was just going to say, maybe the grip. All right. So, <laughs> well, and I think I think their point here is that the AR-10 predates the uh, the AR-15. So uh, you can't say that it's a, if it came it's first. a variant of the AR-15 because yeah. the AR-10 came first. Yeah. So, um, and and these are arguments that normally would fall on deaf ears because um, we told you so type attitude, right? We 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 are the ones that uh, implement the Firearms Act and manage firearms in Canada, and this is just how it's going to be. And who did we have to complain to? Common sense was what they said it was. So this is really cool. Can you imagine if the Air 10 went non-restricted yeah. under Justin? 
That'd be cool. <laughs> what a I'd, legacy. I'd set my... Make his father... Would I hunt with hunt one? With one? Oh my God. I'm going to hunt with one. If, if I could get a non-restricted AR-10, uh, definitely. Yeah, you want to see how fast I can sell an M14? <laughs> I just throw it in the street. Yeah, just I don't even want this anymore. <laughs> throw it away. I hate you. <laughs> uh, Matthew, do you want to take it? Uh, well, this, shouldn't uh, we next, skip to the next one actually, because it's kind of in line, and then go back to this other one? I agree, but I put them in this order because this is the order in which they were Good. discovered. It's too bad. Um, I'm skipping it and making Angel do work. So uh, again, <laughs> from from Edward Oddsborn, Nurink. Type 81 classified as non-restricted. So a new red rifle rears its head over the Canadian wilderness. The Chinese Type 81, after years in the RCMP inspection lab, has been assigned an FRT and is going to be imported in restricted and non-restricted barrel lengths. Like the VZ-58, the Type 81 is chambered in 762 by 39 also known as 762 by 39 <laughs> Yes, that's right. And might resemble a Kalashnikov from a few hundred meters away, but this hybrid rifle is actually closer to the venerated SKS than the quintessential AK. Ooh, will and, they come with for it? And as a result, has been deemed not a variant of any currently prohibited rifles. The original Type 81 was the issued assault rifle of the People's Liberation Army in China, but this new civilian-made variant is a dedicated semi-auto produced by Norinco and destined for the Canadian market. Developed in the 1980s, the, the Type 81 features a last-round bolt hold open, a short-stroke piston system, and a barrel designed, designed for spigot-style rifle grenades. No, I'm just in. stop right there. I'm yeah. <laughs> <laughs> While it does use a proprietary rock and lock magazine, rumor is that these rifles will function with AK pattern magazines uh, in the expense of the bolt, open, bolt hold open feature. Hmm. So far, Tactical Imports and Canada Ammo have both confirmed that they will be importing versions of the Type 81, but I suspect we'll see many more dealers coming on board with these new red rifles. No, I don't know the MSRP. So you are free to guess wildly at possible price points. Personally, I'll be very curious to try this new rifle out next to the VZ-58 and compare. Mm. I, uh, although intrigued, yeah, I probably won't get one. I would still rather. Well, yeah, it depends it's on what the come price in really comes like in for it, me. Right? I wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't go more than five on this rifle. Not when I, you know. <sighs> Even an older CZ858, I believe, is a better platform than this thing. Yeah, well, it's yeah, it's different. I mean, the the, the SKSDs when they were out, they're around three hundred bucks. But I haven't seen one of those I've in, only a, seen in a long one. time. And those used. I've the only seen one well. Adriel. It was at the fifty-first annual Calgary Gun Show when I was out there a couple of years ago with Jeff Reese, who works at Calgary Shooting Center. If you don't shop there, you're a communist. And it was uh, six hundred bucks. Yeah, talk about gun Oof. gun show prices. Kind of huh? wish I had picked picked up one. Uh, when I saw one, because I, I saw one at the same time, oh, this would have been 10 years back, on a, on a shelf uh, next to a regular SKS, and I'm like, eh, I don't want the magazines, I'd rather just use the stripper clips and, and just use this other one. Uh, and it was 200 bucks cheaper, mm. so like half the price, but yeah, maybe yes, it was a better idea to get that one. Whatever. That was a long time ago. Yeah. All right, cool. Speaking of a long time ago. Well, it is very interesting. Speaking of a long say. time ago and uh, wishing we knew stuff that we know now, is that a segue? That it, it was. Oh, well, I didn't feel like it was my place to jump right in because I, re, you know, I kind of backed off because I'm not lead host. So right, just trying to gently nudge him. Well, we're missing. Oh, we're not even see. That's the why you're the lead host. Right we're missing. There. Yeah. So Jeez. you were you were ready to move on, Trevor. I was, but, but we weren't know, done yet. No. So I'm gonna go back to being quiet. Just 
we're hanging on to the past here. Um, this <laughs> this news title is uh, Homeowner Shoots Man Dead During Alleged Robbery in Hamilton. Uh, Hamilton police are investigating after a homeowner shot and killed a man who was allegedly trying to steal his pickup truck. It happened on Highway 56 between Golf Club Road and Regional Road 20 around 3.15 a.m. on Thursday. The victim, believed to be in his 40s, was allegedly oh, trying to steal the vehicle from the driveway. Yeah, the victim's a guy getting the truck stolen from, uh, in my opinion, yeah. but whatever. Yeah. Uh, he's pronounced dead at the scene. Uh, his death marks Hamilton's Ooh. third murder. Yeah, murder. murder? One man was murder. Self-defense. Actually, it is a murder. Yeah, it yeah. might be. Well, it might be. We don't know. Okay. Yeah, you're generally right, not supposed to Right, but maybe he went out, confronted him, stuff. and then the guy did something to put him in fear of his life, and then he had to act. We don't know. We don't know the, the how, it, how it went down. If you think you need to bring a gun, you don't go. Yeah, but he's stealing my truck. It's my truck. It's my right to not have to let my property... I know, I know, that's not what the law says, but common sense and my set of morals says it's wrong to steal things, and if you get dead because you're stealing stuff, that's your own fault. Mm. That's the interesting difference between uh, U.S. and Canadian law, because that's that's very right. much the case in U.S. law. And if if you're in the if you're committing a crime and you know people die or, or bad stuff happen, even if you didn't pull the trigger, you get charged, it, with, murder, you get yeah. charged with it, right? Yep. You, yeah. But yeah. Uh, again, yeah. but, so, but I mean, the murder one won't stick, right? Murder means malicious intent. I wanted him to die, right? If I wanted him to stop and I used lethal force, I didn't want him to die. I want him to stop doing what he was doing. That's not murder. It's my slaughter. Yeah, They'll still I, charge him. This guy's going to get raked over the coals, unfortunately. Over a shouldn't, He shouldn't I, have to, but... He's I think be. he should. Well, yeah. I, I don't think nobody should die over property, you know. I think if um, you don't want to die, you don't steal somebody else's property. And I think and the I more agree. people, I think I the more agree, people that, that clue into this, the less times less people times will have stuff will stolen. Sleep. Yeah, well, I mean, it, will they? Because in the States, with the death penalty, it serves as no deterrent. So... I might die stealing this truck, but I might not. So I'm okay. Steal. Well, even even if it doesn't serve as a deterrent, if you if you shoot the guy and he dies, at least he won't steal somebody else's. Truck. <laughs> I was gonna make that point too. <laughs> and you get and to you get, you get, get to keep truck. the truck. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. No, I mean we all have our own um, cutoff, right? Yeah. And um, I won't let him hurt me, but I won't shoot him over property. Right. I won't let him hurt my wife or you or Adriel, but I I'll let him. You know. You know, like, yeah, no, and I, I agree with that. I, I don't think anybody needs to die over property. That being said, I waste no tears on somebody who dies. Uh, yeah, I, yeah, I don't yeah. care that this guy killed him. No, I wouldn't kill him. That's yeah, and I think I'm with you on that. I wouldn't kill anybody over property either. Um, you know, like even, you said, I, the, the yeah, only somebody, even if we had the right, yeah, you know, even oh, if we had the right, I wouldn't. But, the only time, yeah, way, way too much paperwork. Too much. In my opinion, the only time lethal force is authorized is when somebody else. Or myself is their life or grievous bodily harm is at at stake. Mm. Now, what we all want to know, Matthew, is if you went outside and he was trying to steal your truck, would you fire a warning shot? <laughs> of course, I would. Okay, <laughs> good. Just uh, all right. Would you there, fire yeah. it to the truck? Start shooting the tires out of your own Start truck. Shooting the tr yeah, it's my truck. You can't charge me for damaging my own property. You yeah. don't drive away my five hundred dollar truck because I'm going to shoot holes in my four hundred dollar tires. That's right. Yeah, so this this is going to be all kinds of suck, right? I mean, it's not like it was a home invasion. No. We don't know the details. Like you said, maybe he went out to confront him, and he was threatened with uh, whatever. Yeah. But because, here's the thing. Because have, he went out with a gun. Right, and he went out with a gun because the, the chance of being 
threatened with grievous bodily harm is real, yeah. right? I have a right to intervene and try and stop my property from being stolen. And I also have the right to keep myself safe. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he went, he, he, he did things that he should be allowed to do. But the Canadian court system is going to say, because the threat of you being harmed was real, you shouldn't have and gone. you would have had to react to that and possibly end his life you should have stayed inside and called the professionals yeah and let us waste him if, if he needs to get wasted yeah that's the mentality up here it, you might have to kill him to defend yourself so don't do it your truck's insured let him steal the truck don't let well, don't maybe it's insured maybe you didn't have theft insurance on it oh uh, maybe so yeah you're and you're absolutely right but you going out and confronting him the Canadian system views that as you no. escalating the situation. Yeah. And we view it as, piss on you, that's my truck, and I have the right to intervene to protect my property. <laughs> yep. But now somebody's dead, and an innocent man who tried to protect what hit, what was his will suffer the Canadian judicial system wrath. They're not even going to punish him with, through, yep. with process. They're just going to straight up punish this guy. Yep. I mean, nobody should lose their life over a truck, but... You should be able to protect what's yours and protect yourself in the process of protecting what's yours, if need be. All right, now you can get use that segue you yep. were talking about before. It doesn't apply now. <laughs> we totally. So speaking of things we initially, well, yeah, I wish speaking I. Speaking of things we were talking about before. Yeah. See, see, that's a good one. Speaking of things we were going to say earlier, but we didn't. Yeah. Well, let's there assume this guy. Yeah. Speaking of yeah, a different now we topic. can get on to the main topic. Let's assume this guy shot him with a handgun. What would he have wanted to have known first before he got into handguns? There you go. <laughs> there There's our segue. There's our we knew it was in there somewhere. <laughs> yeah. So, so what is it? it? It's it's things we wish we oh, knew man. before we got into handguns. Before we got into handguns, or or back when we were shooting handguns. Well, which is it? Well, it's the oh, same yeah. thing. Well, I mean, is it? I was before or back yeah, when okay. we. Well, what's it? What's what's Not, it? You know, this is Adriel's topic. You define it, Adriel. Yeah. Yeah, well, and I, I was talking with you, no, about, you uh, with Trevor, about, um, <laughs> you have no proof, um, <laughs> about uh, about when I started shooting handgun and how terrible I was uh, for years, uh, and, and I shot everything else, I shot shotguns, rifles, pistols, um, with shotguns and rifles, uh, you know, I, I learned a lot, with handguns, I didn't. I did for a long time because when I'd go to the range, I'd uh, load up my magazines, uh, blast a bunch of rounds, turn uh, turn ammo into noise, Money and into uh, and not really learn anything. Money into noise. What's that? Same thing. Money into noise. Yeah, you know, me. You know, just uh, if I could jump in for a second yeah. there, you and Matthew, well, the three of us have very different experiences, so I think this is going to be a fun topic. You got into handguns on your own, no instruction, and have not competed seriously uh like matthew and i have you do compete you do shoot some recreational three gun but still is it fair to say you've still not gone through formal training including a black badge uh i've done a little bit of formal training but not a black badge and uh really only this year so while i've been shooting for uh 20 25 years i've only really been uh uh, competitively shooting and this year and, really and then matthew this year. uh had handguns off and on over the years leading up to his black badge and he he will tell you he's a much better shot now after going through even the black badge and then we've taken several classes since then but he had a glock before didn't like it and learned to shoot and now likes his glock is that a safe thing to say matthew look i couldn't have said it better myself there you go and i'm on the other end of the spectrum where i picked up the gun 
with the sole intention of becoming a competitive shooter. Not a recreational shooter, a competitive shooter. I was sending bottles of scotch to people and having them analyze my videos. When I bought my gun, I bought the gun and the race holster. I bought it to play right off of the bat. So I was getting instruction. Uh, I got the gun in January and I took the black badge in May. And I was, I think probably, I wasn't, well, I wasn't way ahead of Matthew. But Matthew and I were pretty much way ahead of everybody else in the class, I would say. You think yeah. that's fair, Matthew? I would say so, yeah. We were. I wasn't in your squad in the Black Badge, but uh, I, I do remember that people were, yeah. Yeah, you were, you were ahead of mostly everybody else there. Where did, where did these guys come from? But that's because, like I said, I, didn't, I had no bad habits to correct. Yeah. Or, Adriel, you probably still do in some respects. Matthew had some to correct. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, well, I don't know. I didn't shoot my gun enough to form any bad habits. I didn't know what I was doing. I was all over the place. So uh, what I ended up doing, here, here's the biggest thing I think that helped me in my black badge is I actually prepared for it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I watched, uh, you know, it might not be the best thing in the world, but it was all I had. I watched Magpul's Dynamic of the Handgun. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I did what Chris Costa told me to do. And it made a big difference. I mean, even even, you know, commercial video training is better than going to the range and trying to figure it out for yourself. Absolutely. And when people tell us before the black badge, you know, what can I do to prepare? I mean, that's one of the things that we recommend. Get get, get a little bit of help from somebody who's an instructor before you get there, watch videos, you know, learn the the basic manual of arms of the firearm. Yeah. So, so that's our experiences. Now, anything as you, what's, what was your, your question there, Adriel. What 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 do we wish we had known? Oh yeah. Well, my my question is, um, what do you, what do you know now that you could have told yourself, or what, what's something that that was just a major revelation for you that you wish you could have told yourself? What that you the trigger weighs out? more than the handgun. Yeah, the I wish I had known hand. that. I didn't really clue into that until way into my handgun shooting career, and when I finally figured out that it takes more poundage to press the trigger then the gun weighs then it really clicked for me oh i really have to hold on to this thing to make sure it doesn't move when the trigger finally clicks because when it breaks if you're not holding on tight to the gun your gun's going to jerk in your hand and if the gun jerks in your hand a little bit you're going to miss in my case yeah that's a good in one. my case it, if i had to do it over the only thing really that i keep coming back to if i had to do it over i would have went production uh, I spend extra money shooting 40 caliber to put holes in paper just like everybody else out there. And, I mean, I love the standard guns. I love the size. I love the fact that I can modify them and do almost anything to them short of a competent optic. Um, but I'm spending more money to play the same game as everybody else. Uh, so if I had, if I could start over, I would start over with a high-end production gun. I know. Why don't I switch? I don't know. I'm in standard now, and I like it, so I'm not going to switch. But except for my revolvers and my production, <laughs> my standard gun, all other firearms, all other all other handguns that I bought have been in nine mil. Yeah, I think uh, I think one of the things for for me that I wish I could tell myself ten years ago when I when I got my first handgun uh, was just the the as you pull the trigger, add pounds. Uh, when I see people at uh, at the range shooting their pistols or uh, even like new people to three gun, the thing that they're consistently doing wrong is is doing a, a nice smooth trigger pull. And you can see it when when they whenever we we do a, a stage that has targets that are a little bit longer, a little bit longer range, because they <laughs> they need a, a couple more magazines to do the same 
uh, bit that other people will do with one. And it's it's always in the trigger pull. Like these are people who have been around guns for for a long time in their lives, and they're just they're just not thinking that that they're jerking the trigger when it gets to the end. But they are they are anticipating the recoil, and they're either uh, jerking it or flinching it, and they're consistently putting their rounds yep. low and left. And I've seen so often at the range, low and left. I need to adjust the sights of my gun. No, you don't need to adjust the sights on your gun. You need to adjust how you're pulling the trigger. And uh, and that adding pounds to the trigger, uh, you know, counting a second off, add a pound, add a pound, add a pound, and then letting it break, uh, I found at least for me was was really key in getting my my accuracy way way up. You'll see those people, Adriel, just have their egos crushed on a long long piece of steel. There's a steel plate out there at 15 or 20 yards. Oh man, or 25. yeah. Oh, oh you're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thanks. I forgot about that stage, Matthew. Yeah. That was awesome. I loved it. <sighs> I look. I took them down one shot yeah. with each. Just yeah. Matter of knowing how to press your trigger and keep your sights on target. But there were people who swore at you. Oh, yeah. I got, I got off the four wheeler, yeah. and one guy looked at me and said, "You, f you. This is effing stupid. There are stages at the world shoot that aren't this hard." And I just said, "Uh." Well, this isn't the world shoot now, is it? No, you, Welcome to uh, Backwoods, New Brunswick. <laughs> you, no, I think I said something like, um, <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> so anyway, um, so when you see somebody suffering like that on that long piece of steel and they've dumped an entire mag trying to hit one piece of steel, uh, if you go, hey, trigger press, and if they know what you're talking about, if they know what that means, almost always the next shot takes the steel down. Yeah, It clues them in to stop mm-hmm. Focusing on hitting the steel and focusing on an aspect of the fundamental, something about the process, and, and then they get the steel, which is which is uh, you know awesome to see them do it. But if they don't do what you do, Adriel, and incorporate it into practice and understand it and do the one pound, two pound, three pound, yeah. So that certainly is something that you definitely want to know from day one. All right, here's how you press a trigger. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, Matthew, what was your I... first handgun? Oh, it was a Norinco. M93 Woodsman, the Woodsman copy. <laughs> yeah. Terrible. How, how was that for a first pistol? It actually wasn't that bad. <laughs> it was a lot of fun to shoot. It was $99. Uh, it, the, my, I had two complaints with it. One was it was exceedingly difficult to take apart. You, the, the Mark, the Mark three, the Savage, or, yeah, the Ruger Mark three has nothing on this. Nothing. It's it's easy compared to the M ninety three. It uh, and and the rear sight came loose at one point. But the good news was the slide. Uh, how do you describe it? It, it? There was no ejection port. This the whole slide just moved back, so you didn't have to actually take it apart to clean it ever. So it didn't really matter. But uh, yeah, no, that was my it's first easy. handgun. It was it was fun. It was cheap. That's why I got it. Yeah, I had a Norinco uh, 1911 in 45, and it was a, a, a terrible fir- first pistol for a couple of reasons. One, <laughs> I can think of two. Um, yeah, there's ammo three. Ammo really three expensive. Yeah. One, Norinco. Two, it's a 1911. Three, it's in 45. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't do anything it, right. You know, the, the Norinco part, <laughs> well, it's a first pistol. It was really cheap. We'll put it that way. Um, it was uh, like 45 was expensive. I reloaded for it, but uh, then you still have to go pick out your 45 brass out of where the, wherever the heck it's uh, spitting them. Um, uh, what else do I have issues with for with it? I didn't, um, you know, a lot of the the holsters that you get at least uh, locally here. I'm in Edmonton. Even here, uh, holsters come in Glock, 
uh, CZ and SIG. They don't like. There's not a lot of holster choice around here. So if you've got a even even trying to find a, a competition holster for a 1911, you may not find it locally, and you might have to order it online. Keeping in mind, 10 years ago, this would have been a little bit harder to do. Uh, so I, I I never actually got a holster for the thing uh, because I would just bring it to the range and again just blaze away with it. it at least it was reliable. But uh, yeah, just just the wrong first pistol. I think a, a Glock or an MP or, well, or something else. I still say a, a twenty-two is the best first pistol. Yeah, because you can learn all the fundamentals and handling without the recoil and without the cost. So you can get thousands of rounds downrange for a fraction of the cost while you develop safe pistol handling and good fundamentals. And there there is a difference between handling a pistol and handling a rifle. A rifle is very easy to keep pointed in the right direction because it's very long. A handgun is very easy to point in the wrong direction because it's very short. Mm-hmm. I see lots of newbies immediately oh, like, yeah. look at you and drop the gun to their feet. Yeah. Why can't you just, just hold it up here just in your peripheral vision right yeah. under your chin? Yeah. <sighs> yeah. Any other tips that you'd give to yourselves? Like, Well, I wouldn't have started, started with a 8-inch bright nickel uh, Colt Python. <laughs> I don't <laughs> see the problem with this. <laughs> Uh, my first, my first three guns happened almost simultaneously. The first gun I purchased was a Colt Python, and the um, paperwork took much longer on that one than my Smith and Wesson 422 and my Glock 35 competition pistol. So um, when I finally got the, to the range for the first time, I did have all three in my possession. So those were the three that I went and uh, there's still a video out there somewhere of me shooting my 357, my Colt Python for the first time. But, uh, yeah. Just two-handing them? Just uh, yeah. seven in one hand? Uh, and uh, and the uh, <laughs> yeah. Smith & Wesson in my teeth. That was an interesting little gun. It, it had the, the barrel <laughs> on the bottom of the, of the slide. It was kind of really neat the way it was made. And the magazine catch was in the center of the grip in the front. Um, yeah. Neat little pistol. The takedown on it required a, a special kind of little tool you could do with a piece of uh, 22 casing. Why, as, why as can't well. people just make guns that come apart with a little lever or a button? Like, uh, why why do they have to insist little tools? Ah, mm-hmm. drives me nuts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, part of the, part of the design philosophy that that's really prevalent in uh, in modern pistols is they they come down like design is for it's for cost, it's for reliability and. And takedown is is excellent oh. these days. On the six all these three, the six three twenty is so awesome. Um, you know, it's it's as close to idiot proof as you can get. You can't take it down with a magazine in it. You don't have to pull the trigger to take it down. Like a lot of police agencies, because their members don't handle their firearms enough to handle them safely, don't. Well, they will exclude a gun from trials if you have to pull the trigger to take it down. A lot of police agencies pass on the Glock because of that. Because there's been lots of ADs, people take it down the Glock, they'll take out the magazine, and uh, yeah, you know, wait now, yeah, how do you, yeah, pull the trigger in the wrong order. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, well, I mean, you, if uh, try using a, a, a rifle and, and disassembling a rifle from the 20s or 30s, they'll have there'll be lots of flathead screws. Uh, they'll be really shallow, easy to strip out, and there'll be all sorts of other nonsense happening with little dog leg, little pieces of metal, mm-hmm. and all sorts of weird stuff. Yeah. Any other uh, uh, tips for beginner handgun kind of things? Or? Well, just f- find somebody to teach you. Mm. Don't. Yeah. I mean, you can. You can go to the range by yourself, and most people can figure it out somewhat. 
Um, do yourself a favor, at least watch some training videos. But if you know somebody who is either a competition shooter or an instructor, somebody who now make sure it's somebody who really knows what they're talking about, because there yeah, are somebody, so yeah. there are so many people out there who go, oh yeah, I have a handgun, I can show you how to shoot it. They probably can't. Mm, yeah, look like, look for somebody who's won at least a few a few times in a competition. Or somebody you actually see at the range shooting the thing they're trying to teach you how to shoot. I know in archery, the guy who is most willing to help is the guy you never see shooting. Yeah. So, you know? yeah, ask ask people who actually participate. Now, that'll be hard because they're actually shooting. But don't try not to take advice from people who are just standing in the back going, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, here, let me show you how to do that. They, they probably don't know how. Or, or, you know, smile and nod and then double check what they said later yeah. with somebody else. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, get some help and start. Don't. There's no shame in making your first handgun a 22. None whatsoever. And you'll love that 22. Like, I shot a lot of 22 in the beginning because I'd get to the range and I just wanted to shoot, 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 shoot. So and you can through. do that for 20 bucks instead of 200. Yeah, I would, I would kind of like burn off the the oh my god giddiness i'm at the gun range i want to shoot you know yeah. like when it was still very new i would shoot a lot of rim fire to get it out of my system and then get to work in a couple of drills or a practice plan with my actual lipstick pistol. yeah that's actually a really good idea i remember those those first day jitters at the range with the new guns like i gotta shoot a lot but yeah, exactly yeah. right yeah you get over it after a while but uh but yeah to, to get through that a, a nice 22 will really help you out mm-hmm Mm-hmm. Or or conversion kit for your gun, like you oh yeah, get, that's a good you know. idea too. I used to have a twenty two conversion kit for the Glock that I, the first Glock that I had. Vantage Arms. The problem yep. is they cost as much as a Glock. They do. Well, not now. That Glock has gotten ridiculous and jumped up to eight hundred fifty bucks. But yeah, you're but still going to pay over five hundred dollars for that conversion yeah, kit. That's why I haven't got that's one yet. Just There's silly, expensive. silly. Too much. It is too much. It's it. Yeah, might as well yeah. get a dedicated twenty two. Yeah, dedicated twenty two. In my opinion, is probably a little better. It's going to probably run better. If they're the same. Like, if you're running M&P, then you're running the same mag, same mag pouches, you know. Well, and even even if you're not, just trigger times, trigger times. Yeah, I'm thinking from a competition's point of view, right. wanting to be as close to your primary as possible. Sure. I don't know how important that really is. I think it, I think it is important to a degree. I think what's more important, though, is that you're actually out there shooting. Mm, yeah, depends what you want to get done, I suppose. Yeah. You know, if you're if you're yeah. practicing reloads with 22, and well, you I just want to practice. I don't think there's anything you can't practice in dry fire that you can practice with a 22, mm. right? Like there's there's nothing that your 22 will do for you that dry fire won't do for you. So if you don't want to get a conversion kit or buy a, a, a replica that's in 22, because you know if you want to do it just just so that you can practice shooting with it, well, you're not the the, the one thing that the 22 does not do for you. Is, is recoil. So you can't learn to manage recoil. Not with a twenty two, but your your timer is not going to pick up your dry fire. If you still want to practice draw and first shot on target. Oh, I see. Well, you can, well, you, there are ways around that with your, your dry firing. But yeah, you can right. go with a par timer, I suppose. Yeah. But you sh- that, uh, that Ipsic app that we're talking about, that one will pick up the click of a, of a pistol. You got to be quiet after you click yeah. it so you can check your time. But, uh, if you just, if you just want to, if you just want to check it for, uh, time to trigger press from beep, it, That's cool. you can do it with those. Yeah. Any other, uh, feedback on basic handgun stuff? Nah, I think we pretty much covered everything. Find a wrinkle <laughs> yeah. 45. Uh, don't, don't, don't get a 22. Or anything. Yeah. Just go to the range. Yeah. Watch, uh, watch lots, old, right? uh, Old old movies, they they know spaghetti how to shoot. westerns. Yeah, no, Rambo, the right, old Rambo. T- Rambo. 
teacup and saucer, you know. That's important. Bend your elbows when you shoot. You don't want to overstress your joints. Lock your knees and Lock, put the weight yeah. on the heels of your feet. Always on the heels. Yeah. Thrust, thrust it, your that pistol gives, forward when you shoot to the give it extra velocity. You're supposed yeah. to thrust yep. your groin forward, yep. no? No, that's it. That's that's when you dance. That's you. Oh. Not when I dance, but when you dance. <laughs> <laughs> when I dance, the only thing that goes out is my back. <laughs> For those of you who aren't aware, <laughs> the last 30 seconds was all joking. Do the opposite of what we said. And Don't go to really, a friend's house. Yeah, and, and do it at a friend's house, not not at my house. <laughs> okay, let's, let's get on to some listener feedback here. Uh, the first one here is from Red Ranch. I'd happily help Jason uh, buy Jason a pair of britches to cover his they're undershorts. Not shorts. <laughs> that image has been difficult to remove from <laughs> Red, memory. They're not shorts. They're, uh, it's a onesie. Legitimately, I'll send him a picture in my basement wearing a onesie with an air. Uh, it's on Facebook somewhere, I'm sure. I share it on Facebook. <laughs> if it's not, it should be. Let me look for it. Uh, feel free. <clears throat> uh, feel free to send him any info of mine. If you'll let him run around the house in pajamas, he must be a he good is. old boy. That's from Red Ranch. I started reading Yeah, no, that's, right uh, that's a re- response <laughs> to uh, the plea I gave last week for an American to help out Jason. We did find an American to help out Jason. I'll, I'll give him a shout out at the end of the show here. But uh, Red Ranch was one of the other people who, uh, who, who offered. So big thanks to Red Ranch for, for offering. Yeah, sweet. Uh, from Matthew, Walsh. Read this, hey, uh, fellas. I just thought I'd write in to express my concerns. It appears that without Trevor around, the warning shot turns into a giddy fourth grader who just can't contain himself when the supply teacher walks in the room. It's funny, I work in grade four, so it's actually very apt. Um, Can we maybe have a cardboard cutout of Trevor in the room to keep him in check? Adriel, don't get sucked in, man. You're too smart for that. Slaint Walsh. I think, I think he's, he's misjudged he's me. Nailed me. He's got me right on the head there. Uh, yep. Giddy fourth grader. It's pretty good. Thank Enjoy you, it. Walsh. Yeah. Sweet. Yeah, thank you. Um, if you'd like to have your email read on the show, just uh, send an email to slamfireradio at gmail.com. Next up, we've got some uh, iTunes reviews. Well, at least one iTunes review here. Uh, let's see. This is kind of small because I had to screenshot it from uh, iTunes. But uh, this is from Duggar in Canada. Well, I have been listening since before this was a show, if you can even count this as a show. It has an entertainment value of just above an American dollar, except for Trevor. He adds a value of just over a Canadian penny, just because of his love for the SKS. Matt is awesome. Owen, if he's there, is good. And this new guy, Frosty, still has to prove himself. But together, they make a great team. (laughs) Matt is awesome. That's all I got out of that. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, <laughs> got the rest of us there. An entertainment value just <laughs> above an American dollar. Oh, it's funny. An American Canadian penny. <laughs> we don't have pennies anymore. Yeah, I don't miss the penny either. Good. We didn't need them. No. Uh, you guys got any? Yeah, shows? I've got one to uh, Andy Shan. Uh, Andy saves me seven hundred dollars today. So Andy's the man again. That that's a yeah. That's cool. Very cool. Uh, that's all you need to know. He saved me $700. I don't want to get into details in case it's personal for him. It's not for me, but he, he did me a solid (laughs) and saved me 700 bucks. The man is solid. So yeah, (laughs) yeah, he is. Yeah. 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 Uh, I like his little buddy, Steven. (laughs) (laughs) I got a couple to Steve. He is another American who offered to help out Jason. And in fact, was the first one. So Jason and Steve are now in 
communications and uh, hopefully the flashlight mount is uh, on its way or close to it also to red ranch who also wrote in we talked about him just a minute ago and bowman was another gentleman from the americans from the americas from from america you know he, he offered as well so it's just it's nice to see uh listeners who are who are willing to help out a a fellow gunny even though he's on the wrong side of the border and who they don't even know who don't wears know. a tactical onesie a tactical onesie yep um, I also got one for Scott from Texas. Uh, Scott contacted me uh, earlier this week and asked for permission to use some of my flying videos. He's putting uh, the website together for the company that builds my plane. And No uh, way. And so they, he, he's been watching my videos oh, and said, cool. I love them. Can I use them as promotionals for the website and for the company? And I was, of course. I'm not going to say no to that. I mean, I like people to watch my videos, so yeah. But I mean, you also got to get your you got to you can't you got to eat too, you know? Right. Yeah. So. It'll be okay. You sure? YouTube pays me, so it'll be <laughs> okay. okay. If I get more views, that, that's all I'm I'm happy with. Uh, anyway, he offered to ship me a uh, TXC in the waistband holster for my trouble, and what? so that was uh, he. he, Ooh, he is guy who makes nice. your airplanes a gunny? Yes, very much so a gunny. He carries a Glock 26. Um, and, uh, he's getting a Glock 43. That's the nine mil, right? Uh huh. Yeah. He's getting one of those. And, uh, he is uh, very close friends with the person who owns TXC holsters. So, um, I, uh, just wanted to give him a shout out and give TXC holsters a shout out. So if you're in the, in the America and you want a, a nice in the waistband holster, I went and checked them out. They look pretty cool. Um, simple, uh, elegant Kydex in the waistband, nice solid clip on them, so they don't you know fall down your inside of your pants or anything. They're nice looking holsters, so check them out if you get a chance. But anyway, I just wanted to give Scott a shout out there for for uh, well being a cool guy, basically. Sweet. Any other shout outs? Okay, well, um, just uh, just to help us uh, and help out uh, all the other uh, firearms associations out there, please join uh, one of the national firearms associations like the CCFR or the CSSA. Uh, it's really important to support them to uh, make sure that they get out there, talk with uh, uh, the lawmakers, and uh, and get our shotguns that are restricted <laughs> to non-restricted. I don't know. Let's how do that some happened. more of that, though. <laughs> but I'd, I'd like to think that there is some canvassing or something like, "Hey, this is a shotgun. This is an AR-15. Like, what are you guys doing over there?" So um, I'd like to think that something was I, responsible I, for that. Uh, check it. Well, when you're done, I got what's another shout out and then something to tell the listeners. Sorry. Good job interrupting, okay. Trevor. Thanks, Matthew. Uh, check yeah. us out on... Oh. Oh. <laughs> Sorry, we well, I learned from you, Matthew. Uh, check us out on Gun Owners of Canada. <laughs> okay, okay. Let's... Why don't I just do it now then, Adriel, and then we'll let you finish. <laughs> Obviously, I can't contain myself. We good? Can I, can I go? Can I go? Y- yeah. All right. Cameron... <laughs> like us on Facebook. Uh, so this is actually th- important. This is more important than our goodbye. Oh. Um, petition E11. Oh, yeah, so that's the petition, and it will hopefully get in front of Parliament here. It's the E petition. Uh, the um, for the uh, there is no okay petition E11. That's the one for the AR15 to try and make it non-restricted. Cameron Vecri F E K R I. Uh, suggested that the uh, CCFR uh, grab the URL E11. So if you go to www.e11.ca, it will take you to the petition uh, if you, in case you haven't signed yet. So when you 
type in www.e11.ca. It takes you right to the Parliament of Canada, E11, firearms, and uh, you get to sign the petition. So please, if you have not signed this important petition yet to try and help get the AR-15 de-restricted, go to www.e11.ca and sign and then share the link. Cool. Very cool. Oh, where was I? Oh, Facebook. Uh, like us on Facebook. We have 1,362 <laughs> likes. And 62. Love it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we have 83 thumbs up, uh, five gold stars, and, I don't know, two flukes okay. or three flukes or something. Uh, all sorts of other uh, weird fluke? ways of uh, endorsing us. It's basically a participation ribbon, though. Uh, I said, what the fluke? Oh, I said, what's a fluke? Oh, I know what a fluke is. You were here. I don't know why you don't know. I don't know what you're talking about. All right. It's like a flipper for a whale. I don't know. So if you have any comments or questions for the show, please send an email to slamfireradio at gmail.com. Now go grab a gun and shoot something. When the talking is over, it's time to get a gun. Hey there, Slam Fire crew. This is Redneck Ranch hollering at you from Ohio. I wanted to drop y'all a line boot that Jason feller. Notice how I said boot there? Trying to fit in. I wanted to drop y'all a line. <laughs> I can help him spend money here in the States. Let's start with a sturdy pair of coverall britches. We need to get them bright red onesies he likes to wear covered up. What makes a feller put on them bright red undershorts? I like my chewing tobacco dipped in Jack Daniels, but I don't go around posting pictures of it on that internet. Some things are best left to a feller's privacy, you know what I mean? I'd guess them bright red undershorts are breezier than an open-carried Glock. Maybe a feller's at Slamfire can take up a collection to clothe that fella. He's welcome to come visit Redneck Ranch sometime, but he's got to wear britches around these parts. Anyway, let me know if I can help Jason out. Good night, Trevor. <laughs>